Hello and welcome to Stump Death and Taxes. I'm Meep, or Mary Pat Campbell. And today, to get away from maybe what sounded like negativity in the last episode on gatekeeping, I'm talking about building bridges to open that gate, and really specifically about an organization called BEAM, or Bridge to Enter Advanced Mathematics. Uh, so I have some personal connections to this organization, and I'm going to get a little story. But before I get into this, this organization, BEAM, again, it's BEAM, B-E-A-M, stands for Bridge to Enter Advanced Mathematics, and I'll explain what the organization is about in a moment, has two high-profile uh, positions open uh, in the show notes. I will link to the LinkedIn post by the hiring person, uh, Dan Zaharapal, who is the CEO at the Art of Problem Solving Initiative and the founder of BEAM. Um, so he is looking for a director of institutional giving to lead the strategy and outreach with a highly engaged group of donors who are passionate about changing the face of STEM education. And when I describe what he's doing with BEAM and his uh, kind of long-term strategy and a little more medium-term strategy for growth, uh, you know, you'll hear about this. And I thought maybe someone listening to this might either be interested in this themselves or know somebody who would be good for this position. And then also manager of math instruction. This would be based out of Los Angeles, a unique opportunity to work on providing quality math instruction at all of our programs in one of our two core cities. And currently the two core cities are Los Angeles and New York City. Um, so what is all of this about and what is my personal connection to this? And my personal connection is math camp. And yes, there really is a math camp. And I used to be on staff at math camp and you might go like, what is math camp? And, uh, Yale professor Serge Lang, who's now dead, uh, wrote the best <laughs> The best blurb we ever had at math camp. And I quote him, the largest concentration of intelligence and math freaks, end quote. Uh, we had that in a letter from him and we posted that. It was just the best thing we have ever seen. Um, I was considered a mentor. So the mentor are the graduate student uh, instructors. Uh, so I was in grad school at NYU at the time when I was on staff. We have graduate student instructors. We had math professors who also were instructors. We had junior counselors who were undergraduate students who had been math campers when they were in high school or middle school. And then the campers themselves, which are very gifted students in math, uh, very advanced. Um, and yes, absolutely, totally into math. Uh, now, we did all sorts of math, and it may be a little different from some other kinds of math programs out there. The kinds of math we would teach would not be the kinds of math you would see in 
high school, but maybe not even in a, as a math major or even a graduate student. Um, so we explored all sorts of math. One of my favorite things to do, um, I would usually, it'd usually be like a one class. I mean, sometimes we'd be do, do a series. It was a five week camp. It would, we'd move around to different universities and math camp is still around, by the way. And again, I will be dropping this in the show notes, a link to the math camp website. It's still going on and it's uh, called Canada USA math camp because uh, they'll go to different locations in Canada and the US, but it's open to international students as well. Uh, pick a different university campus each summer uh, and have uh, classes, but we'd also have like one-off classes. My favorite thing to teach was false proofs. <laughs> and I would usually do either one or two classes. If it was a one class false proofs, I would just do the false proofs and wouldn't explain what was wrong with the proofs. Here are some of them and I'll drop the PDF of it. I would prove things such as the real numbers are countable. Um, and all of these, of course, I'm proving totally false things. That pi is rational, that pi equals two, that's one of my favorite ones, that one is the largest number, that two equals one, and I had multiple proofs that two equals one, two equals four, zero equals one, one equals negative one, <laughs> <laughs> infinity equals negative one, infinity equals zero. Um, and some of these, you may have seen these before. Some of them come from dividing by zero and other things that, yeah, you're not supposed to do. But some have more subtle wrong steps in them. In the PDF that I will share, I don't explain what is wrong. Obviously, they are wrong. And in some of the cases, yes, there's a division by zero uh, going on. But in some of them, what is wrong in these proofs is more subtle. Um, I'll do one because the this one was told to me by one of my math professors, undergraduate. He had gone to a, a mathematic, what is it, MAA, I think it's Mathematics Association of America, which is primarily um, like math college instructors, uh, professors, where it's focused on undergraduate math education. And he said one of the people came up and presented this proof as if, yeah, he thought this was a legitimate proof that the reals are countable. They're not countable, by the way. They're, it's an uncountable infinity. I'm not going to explain what that is. Um, rationals, rational numbers where you can express them as a whole number in ratio with another whole number are countable. I'm not going to prove that. Um, so between any two irrational numbers, there is a rational number. And that is true, by the way, you, for any two irrational numbers that are not the same number, uh, there exists a rational number at, and at least one. Now you're starting to see where the hocus pocus comes from. Between any two rational numbers that are not the same number, there exists at least one irrational number. Thus, we'll start with zero and we'll go up 
we'll go to positives. The real number line must look like rational, then irrational, rational, then irrational, rational, then irrational. So just pair up each rational number with its subsequent irrational neighbor. We've created a one-to-one -one correspondence between the rationals and irrationals. Thus, the rationals are countable. I mean, I'm sorry, we know the rationals are countable and thus the irrationals are countable because we have a one-to-one -one correspondence. The union of two countable sets is countable, therefore the reals are countable. And uh, yeah, so yeah, there's a lot of holes in that logic and I've really gone off on a tangent, but that's what math camp was like. Uh, we had a bunch of very bright students who were really, really into math, and we were getting way far away from what I would call school math um, and having a great time. But this is what academic math is like, whether it's pure math or applied math. And I was kind of the applied math representative. I would do uh, discrete math, finite math, you know, uh, linear algebra, all sorts of things. But because these were... Um, adolescent students and they did not necessarily have a lot of experience therefore I couldn't get into like differential equations I was a little limited in what I could do well actually Dan Zaharipal was one of my students he was a senior in high school if I remember correctly when I met him he had been to math camp before if I remember correctly and then he became math camp staff as a junior counselor. And then as he went into graduate school, he became a mentor at math camp. And then later he founded his own nonprofit, this bridge to enter advanced mathematics, because of course, many of the students, many of the math campers are coming from backgrounds like mine in that we have a lot of resources. I had a house full of math books growing up. I had a lot of these non-school math books like Martin Gardner, like Raymond Smullyan, like Douglas Hofstadter's Gertel Escher Bach, which my father handed to me when I was 12 years old. Most kids don't have these resources, even if they're fairly privileged. Um, that said, obviously, there's a lot of students who are coming from underprivileged backgrounds and they're underrepresented in higher mathematics. Dan wanted to work on this directly. When I was talking about gatekeeping in the last episode, I was mentioning that with regards to certain fields, what some people are doing, I mean, and this is at high level, they're saying, well, because we have underrepresented groups, what we're going to do is we're going to make it, you know, lower the bar to make it easier for people to enter into, say, the undergraduate major or maybe even graduate school so that we can help boost up the numbers. And it it's not necessarily the groups you may be thinking of. In my case, um, you know, I'm sorry, I have been watching this and this affected me directly, is of course females in STEM that, you know, academic math was getting pretty desperate to get more and more females at the higher levels of mathematics. Um, plenty of women, plenty of female students were actually taking, say, calculus and other things, but not majoring in the 
they they would major in math, but then they would get into math education, you know, teach high school math instead of going into academic math and becoming math professors at the university level. And they're trying to uh, divert the flow, as it were, into these other levels. So that's one issue. Um, and in any case, one of the problems is, though, you let people in to these higher levels, but they're not prepared for it. Uh, trying to say, okay, well, we'll lower the cutoff scores to get in to these programs. Well, that doesn't help if you're not able to even get past the introductory classes. Um, it's very difficult to be in classes with a student like me, say, where I already had proofs. I taught myself propositional logic from Gödel Escherbach when I was 12. And you've never dealt with propositional logic and you're, you know, 19, 20 years old coming into your first proofs class uh, for rigorous mathematical logic and you're having to deal with there exists a rational number between every irrational number or there exists an irrational number between every rational number. Um, and those statements are true, but can you deal with how you can do if-then state propositions and deal with that mathematical logic? Um, I got kicked out of the proofs class in uh, the undergraduate program because the professor was married to my high school math teacher, and he had told my high school math teacher had told his wife, who was the college professor, um, that, yeah, I knew all of this math. And so she said she, I was not to be in her class and I was to take a higher level <laughs> college class. And I said, I want an easy A, dang it. Um, in any case, uh, getting back to the point, the point is Dan knew that if you are going to get more representation, if you're going to get more inclusion at these higher levels of math, you need to start earlier. And that's the concept behind BEAM. He started it in New York City, and it started out as a relatively small program back in 2011, if I recall correctly. Um, I had supported his program in earlier stages directly by buying books for the students that they could own for themselves, that each of the students would have their own copy of Flatland, that they would have their own copy, I think, of uh, it was either a problem, math problem solving book or a proofs book. It was one or the other two. So each of them would have two math books of their own to start their own math library like I had when I was their age because these are the kinds of resources you need to have on hand that you own that you can read and look at and contemplate because that's what it takes. It's going to be more difficult if you don't have the resources or if you don't start doing the work until an older age. So Dan understood that you need to start earlier in order to get to the higher levels of mathematics. There's going to be a lot more frustration if you don't start until college itself. So he started building a program in New York City as a summer program. 
and let me go to his most recent two-pager and read it, and I will link to it, because he has a particular strategy, and I want to support him, so I'm getting the word out. Uh, I thought people listening to this might be interested in this and might want to support this as well. So this is BEAM, Bridge to Enter Advanced Mathematics, Building Equity in STEM. This is Strategic Plan 2022 Overview. So this came from 2022, but hey, um, you know, it's we're still on the ground floor. Since 2011, BEAM has been working to develop pathways for students from low-income and historically marginalized communities to become scientists, mathematicians, engineers, and computer scientists. We now support students from sixth grade through college graduation, helping them reach their potential. As students from our first cohorts graduate college, our next step is to prepare BEAM to scale. Our strategic plan provides the foundations over the next three years so we can scale in the next 10 years. By 2025, we will update our programs with lessons learned from the past decade, codify and formalize their implementation, put the organizational infrastructure in place to scale quickly and with high fidelity. With funding and support from our donors, our goal is to reach five times as many students 10 years from now and after that, the sky's limit. In addition, we will continue to innovate with new approaches such as our entry points program that reaches elementary school students nationwide. We'll also continue to position ourselves as a thought leader in developing talent from underserved communities. With your support, we'll open doors for many, many more students and continue changing the landscape of STEM achievement. Five times in 10. Our 10-year vision. By 2032, we will grow our programs five times to serve more than 2,500 students annually. We hope you will join us. So this is the impact that they have had. Their students attend great colleges. Almost 70% of BEAM college students attend colleges ranked very competitive or higher ranked by Barron's. Love of math grows after beam summer away. More than 90% of students reported increased interest in math. Students persevere. When we asked, what's the longest you've spent on a single math problem? The median answer at the end of the summer was two days, an increase of more than 200% from the beginning of the summer. And problem-solving skills grow. At summer away, student scores grew on a problem-solving pretest post-test, and when we asked how much do you feel your math skills grew this summer, on a scale of 1 to 7, 95% students responded 5 or higher. So they have multiple goals. You know, this is a fundraising drive, obviously. They originally were just in New York City and have expanded to Los Angeles. Um, obviously, he, Dan, concentrated on New York City first. You know, you have density, so uh, it was easier to find students that you could grow, and it was a summer program to start with. Then um, he developed programs during the school year. I've actually met some of the students and talked with them about non-academic math-related uh, uh, careers, so obviously I talked to them about being an actuary. Um, 
And, you know, a lot of students, they don't get to hear about these kind of careers and possibilities. Uh, a lot of times when you listen to teachers, well, teachers know about being teachers, obviously, um, but it helps to see a goal that you can work towards. So I did mention, and I was talking about academic math, because that's a lot of the stuff that we were doing at math camp. But having these skills to focus on difficult problems for extended periods of time. So some of the things I think about, for example, are things that develop over years and decades. So I have some very slow moving things and they're more conceptual problems than like mathematically difficult problems. I've mentioned that before. Uh, the difficult pro part is, you know, how humans behave for me. Um, but, you know, I support like math education and this kind of program is the kind of thing that I have supported. Um, the organizations that I have, uh, you know, regularly donated money to is this Art of Problem Solving Initiative and then the uh, fundraising for Math Camp. Because, yes, there's basic math education and there are a lot of organizations for this, but to really help get into math excellence, um, I really believe that Dan and his organization really understand what it requires and the amount of work it requires and has, I mean, this has been going on since 2011 and I've seen what they've achieved and has really put in the work to do this. So um, I've really, you know, I support what they've been doing and I you know I'm really excited that he's continuing to grow this organization um you know and this is you know it's like super serious and going back I'm circling back to these two positions uh again the kinds of people who might be listening to my voice they might you know some people I know who read my blog listen to the podcast are retired or transitioning into retirement might be good fits for this director of institutional giving giving for this organization because of the kind of social network in in the old sense of the people you know and the people who would be interested in this kind of uh, effort uh, to lead the strategy and outreach for donor to achieve this goal of getting to scale for this bridge and in, to enter advanced mathematics. A lot of people have been trying to open up and really achieve diversity, inclusion, equity in STEM, but I'm sorry to say that in what I consider a cheap way and by the, just lowering bars and standards and you're saying, oh, let's just remove the gates. Well, as I said last week, this the gatekeeping exists for a reason. Um, and when you open the gate wide and the people are not prepared to actually do the work, they become discouraged. You've not really helped them achieve and they'll know that. Um, just saying, oh, well, we need just to open opportunity. No. So what Dan has been doing is they help the students learn what real math, because I'm sorry to say school math is not the same as really getting into how you really get into mathematical problem solving. And as if, if this is your career, it is very different from, 
getting that layer of basic math skills that you learn in a classroom. That's a different approach to having to sit down with a problem and look at it for two days. Do you do that kind of thing in a K through 12 classroom? It is very rare. Um, I did that. I was very self-motivated as a kid and I had the resources. A lot of the kids that were of the same level of having books and, you know, the schools I was in didn't do that either. Okay, because they didn't have that kind of motivation or interest to begin with. A lot of people don't do that. Uh, so it's this is not necessarily all students are going to be interested in this, but there are people who do not have those resources, but who will be able to achieve once you help them get those resources and show them the goal and show them how to achieve that. And as I said, Dan has really been um, achieving that and I want to support him. So check out uh, the links and if you know you don't know how to get to the um, links that I you know have for the show notes the organization is called bridge to enter advanced mathematics the um, website to get to his website it's beammath.org that's b-e-a-m-m-a-t-h Dot org. So there's two M's in the middle there, and that's where his uh, website is, and you can read more about his organization. Um, but the links I will have, and there's even a more detailed um, document for his strategic plan of a whole deck, slide deck, that is um, <laughs> 42 slides. Uh, that has even more detail of, you know, what are, what is his funding needs? What, what timeline for expansion and his, I believe, six goals of, um, getting to this of, you know, graduates, pathway discovery and all of these things so that they can achieve this. Um, so this is really well thought out, I believe. And, uh, some profiles of students who have been through the program, um, so you should really check that out. Um, that's been Stump, Death and Taxes. So let's build those bridges. 